Something nice to say about me. I enjoy an accolade like the rest. And you could take my picture and hang it in a gallery of all the who's who's and so and so's that used to be the best at such and such. Good morning, it's Chicky Fitzgerald, and you have joined us on Transition Solutions. Thank you so much for joining us. My first guest this morning is Libby Gill, who is uh, both a dear friend and a colleague, and she is also the author of a book, You Unstuck. Good morning, Libby. Good morning, how are you? I'm just doing great. It is a fabulously sunny day here in Florida, just as it should be this time of year, but we like most of the country, have come off of just amazingly cold weather. And so I'm really, really grateful for the sunshine and uh, just watching the palm trees blow. That reminds me of exactly why I moved to Florida. <laughs> How's the weather in Southern California? It's the same. Lots of sunshine after a ton of rain. So we, we're shining coast to coast, Chicky. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, let's hope uh, that there's some sunshine uh in the northern parts of the country, I know everybody's ready for a thaw of all kinds. And, and you know, one of the things that we're talking about today, Libby, is folks who are, are actually already in, in transition. They have uh, perhaps had a, a very, very successful career in the past and, you know, are ready to get engaged in their next challenge, but they're sitting in the middle. And uh, in some cases, they are actually su- stuck. But, you know, I think a lot of people are just trying to figure out, uh, you know, where do I start? And, and I know we, we both know people who spend their days on, on sites like Monster.com and CareerBuilder and, and uh, you know, any number of the, the great online sites that are out there. But uh, what we're going to talk about today are, are ways to actually get off the dime and, and to get started into your next career venture. So Libby, why don't you give just a little bit of background about you and about the book and uh, about what your day job is. I'd love to. Um, My background, I spent almost 20 years in corporate entertainment, heading up public relations and corporate communications at studios like Sony and Universal and Turner Broadcasting. And there came a point in my life where Looking back, I know I was stuck. I'm not sure I knew that then. I just knew I was ready for a big change. And it, my job was great. I had a terrific job and a great staff. And it was I was just at that point where I'd done it. And I had this feeling I could either go find a new adventure or continue doing the same thing for the rest of my career. And that, that just wasn't me. So uh, as I was considering what to do next, I wrote a book, a parenting book, and that led to my next book, Traveling Hopefully, about how you let go of the baggage that holds you back. And much of that comes from the the self-beliefs we build over time. And then finally, that led to You Unstuck. So all of that became a transition into teaching and doing workshops. And before I knew it, I was a, a coach, a business coach, really at the forefront of coaching. I didn't even know I was a coach until someone called me a coach. And um, pretty soon I had a very active career coaching other people on branding and building their businesses, also consulting with large corporations and speaking across the country on issues regarding leadership and, and corporate culture. So if you can figure out my day job in there, Chicky, you're welcome <laughs> to. But it's actually a blend of all the things that I feel very passionate about 
and that thankfully uh, my my skill set has led me to. So I'm I'm very happy to have a, a fairly multifaceted business of coaching and consulting. But it's really all about inspiring people to their greatest excellence and their sense of purpose. Whether that's whether your job is a job, and that's okay if it's really about bringing home a paycheck, or your job is a career where there's there's esteem and uh, reputation and growth that is part of that job, or if it's truly a calling, which I know you have and I have, and it's, you know, if people didn't pay us to do it, we'd be doing it anyway, and, and we've, we've both experienced plenty <laughs> of things. have done Well, that. we're doing it, right. <laughs> because, <laughs> exactly, but it's because, because we both feel so passionate about what we're doing, and, and obviously it's really important to make a living and, and to help other people do the same, but there's a difference in all of those things. Not a right or wrong, it's just understanding where you are and what you want. And for those people who are in transition, or as, as you say, and I love this, in between their successes, it's really thinking about, you know, this next wave of life and of career challenge. What is it that you want? What is it that you're looking for? And then, as you said, it's getting off the dime and taking some action. Well, I love the, the subtitle of your book, uh, you know, which, uh, and the, the actual image on the front of the cover of the book is a, a jar, like a, an empty uh, food jar, and inside are these butterflies, and, and they're in shades of gray. And, I mean, they're, they're still beautiful because of, of the, uh, you know, the variegation, or variations in, in their wings, but there's one that has actually flown out of the jar and, and is uh, beautifully colored in oranges and, and yellows and golds. And the subtitle is Mastering the New Rules of Risk-Taking in Work and in Life. And, you know, I know that the, the book wasn't written specifically for people in transition, but there's so many great lessons in this book. And it really does start with risk-taking. And, and you talked about, you know, a couple of things that you did. I mean, you left a very, very lucrative uh, you know, six-figure-plus salary, and and then uh, actually when you went off to work with Dr. Phil, you had, you know, a lot of notoriety uh, because of his notoriety. And, uh, you know, I, I would suspect that found some of your self-worth in what was on your business card. And, and we're going to come back and talk about self-worth and net worth uh, a little bit later in the show. But let, let's start with talking about those things that make people feel stuck when they've either lost their job or, worse yet, you're still stuck in something that you're not passionate about. I, yeah, in many ways I think that's worse, to be stuck in a relationship that's not working in a, an overweight body or out-of-shape frame or a job that you know is a dead end or is just not taking you on a path that you want to go. And in some people, there's, there's a spectrum I'm finding as I've talked to just thousands of people about what makes them feel stuck and how they identify that. And, and there's a real spectrum of people who just say, my life isn't working. I'm stuck. I don't know what my passion is. I don't know what to do next. And that's that sort of everything's on hold. And then at the other end of the continuum, there are people who can be highly successful, great reputations, everything looks great, but they know that there's usually one or maybe two areas of life that just aren't working at, at sort of optimal level. And those are often the, the people I find in my world are people who are very successful in their careers, but they have ignored fitness or they've left their family out in the cold or their finances, even though they're making a ton of money, their finances are a mess. So what they continue to do is throw all their energy and time into these areas that are working well because that's where they get their juice. That's where they get the excitement. 
and that adrenaline rush, and they get that sense of of credibility and accomplishment. And, and you know, in the meantime, they just shove everything else back in that closet, and they don't want to open it because you know, just for fear of what's stuffed in there is going to jump out as soon as they open that door. But they know. They often know. You know, I'm really successful, but I also happen to be a hundred pounds overweight. And you can find all the excuses in the world. And what I always tell people, and they're always surprised, is most of the excuses are true. You may not have enough time. You may not have enough money. You may be too old, too young, not enough education. And often, that's all accurate. There's nothing wrong with saying, yeah, that's true. I'm a working mom. I'm a single parent. I'm, I don't have enough time. But the people who get where they want to go are the ones that figure out how to transcend those truths. They figure out how to get past the reality of their own limitations because they identify their limiting assumptions. They look at that and say, wow, I just thought, gee, because I don't have a college education, and that's one I hear frequently from really successful people who will say, so that's held me back. That's kept me from going for the big job or the dream. And you've got to look at your own assumptions. And often with people who are overweight, well, I'm fat because my whole family's fat. We've always been fat. We always will be fat. I have to eat because I quit smoking. You know, whatever those assumptions are that we're clinging to that shape our reality. And that's where I start with people to look at what got you stuck, what does stuck mean, and what do we have to shift in order to get you unstuck? Well, and I think one of the things that you hit on um, – in addition to uh, relationships being bad, those relationships can sometimes be the relationships you've had in your business life. And, mm-hmm. and I know from experience, you can have a situation where a boss, uh, no matter what you turn into them, they criticize it and they, you know, write write notes in the margin that that um, you know make you feel uh, inadequate. And or you've got colleagues who somehow diss you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. uh, and whether that's disrespecting you or not hearing you uh, at all. Or stealing your ideas, yeah, which is also one I hear ideas, frequently. Exactly. Yeah. And, and those relationships um, end up really crippling you more than you know about what you do believe that you can do. And I know for one, I mean, anyone who takes a look at my credentials and if they – uh, also see the fact that I do not have a college degree. And not only do I not have a college degree, I dropped out after one semester. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I pretty much said, you know, I want to go after this business world career, and I don't really see where for me, and, and this isn't true for everyone, but I didn't really see where for me spending my uh, four years in the classroom were, were really going to help me get ahead. And, and I was very, very fortunate and very driven Mm-hmm. Um, and went out and made it happen. And and so when I hear people say, oh, man, I don't have a degree, and, I mean, these are people who are in their 40s and 50s. It's like, get over it. Exactly. It Still hanging on matter. to it. Yeah, what? but, you know, getting back to that point of people spending all day on Monster.com or other of these online systems, the online systems use that to completely filter people out. And I think this this is one of the places where they're getting stuck. Well, and I do think as as useful as those services are and as necessary now, there's a point where you got to walk away from that because they're based on, you know, tags and algorithms and all those things to search out certain types of people and certain buzzwords. 
And it's almost the same as what you're talking about in the workplace. There are biases that come in. There are things that come in to sort of pigeonhole you. You've got to break through that and transcend that somehow. And often it's by the face-to-face world and trying things that that are new. And this is where risk-taking comes in. Yes, if you've sent a 1,000 resumes out online and gotten no responses, well, what is that telling you? Right, there's a job shortage, there are lots, there's lots of competition. All of those things are true, but it's time to take a risk in a new direction. It's time to try something different. And sometimes, you know, the old Einstein line of, of the definition of, of insanity is trying the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And sometimes we just continue to do it to no avail because that's what we know and that's what's comfortable. And I am forever sending people out to take dance lessons or go to a comedy improv class or anything that gets them out of their regular routine just to prove to themselves that they can take a risk, that they can set themselves up for something that they think could be embarrassing. They might fail at it. They might feel silly. And they find out that they survive just fine, even if they're not. And what what routinely happens with people is they'll come back and say, you know, it was really fun. I was the best improv person in the class. And they come back with this shock that they were good at whatever it was they feared so much. And even if they find out, you know, I stink at that. I'm never going to be a dancer. They also discover that it it didn't kill them. You know, they're they're fine. They didn't crumble. Right. There there are a couple of things I've heard from my friends who've successfully transitioned. And again, they, they haven't always gone from a corporate job to a corporate job. I've got one really... A dear friend in Dallas who um, had been the head of of a major destination marketing organization and came back and and tried her hand at consulting and uh, ended up as the COO of a startup. Mm -hmm. And and we talk about taking risks. I mean, going into a startup in this particular economic environment uh, can be really, really scary. But boy, has it been rewarding for her. But the year in between, that time in transition for her was a time where she spent discovering her city because her entire career she had been traveling mm-hmm. and she didn't know anyone you know maybe maybe a few neighbors to wave at and you know a couple of business school friends who had hung around Dallas but i loved hearing her story about discovering you know what was in her own community and right. she ended up getting a job with an entrepreneur in her own community mhm yeah, it, and it's it's that it's it's funny because the fear kicks in at the time when we've got time to enjoy life. Those transitions are so scary because we're in the unknown. That that zone of it's like if you think of a trapeze artist, you know, you're swinging across from bar to bar, and you you've got to let go of the one before you can grab the next one. But it's that free flight in the middle, in between those two bars, that's so frightening for people, which is why they'll say, you know, I've got the time now, but I can't enjoy it. I can't go on vacation. I can't do this or that. I can't fix up my house because I don't know what's coming next. But she found a great way to do something, probably within her budget, maybe no cost at all, and put exploration in a literal sense put that exploration into play and began to, to search her own city, and I bet she created a network for herself. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, I think that that's the, the important thing about finding other ways that you can explore and, and that you can network locally. And I know here in Tampa I've gone to a couple of uh, networking mixers, and, and it's been very, very interesting, uh, you know, just to see the different methodologies that the different people who run the mixers use in, in getting to know people. 
Um, but uh, I know uh, Tiffany Topsick, who is, is my normal co-host uh, for the program, um, she did the same thing in Chicago. I mean, she spent the time, you know, she had, she had enjoyed Chicago and had grown up there, but, but she really dug her, um, you know, her mitts into learning about the whole social networking environment there and people who were into social media, which was something that was important to her to learn, uh, you know, to put her feelers out both for jobs and, and for different opportunities. Well, because we know that ultimately, as, as much as you need to do those sort of traditional things like um, you're sending out resumes and all of that, it, it's most of the jobs at a more senior level for sure come through face-to-face connections or people that will lead you to other people. And and it, often it's at that point when we're in transition is when we don't know what story to tell about ourselves. And I really urge people not just to have the elevator pitch, and we all need that. We need to identify who we are when somebody says, you know, what do you do? But to create that story that fills in the gaps and to practice it and to play with it and to feel comfortable about being in transition. And certainly if ever there were a time to have no shame about losing a job, this is it because there are plenty of people who are in that boat. And, and are quite empathetic. Um, most of us, I can't imagine there's anybody who doesn't have a friend or family member who's been laid off in the last few years right. or at least taken some sort of cutback or pay cut or something. So, But crafting that story consciously, and when I say craft it, I mean write it out, practice it in the mirror, let it roll off your tongue, have a few variations of it so that you can walk proudly into any of those uh, networking events or meetings and really be ready to tell your story. And, of course, that includes its two-way communication. And the, 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 the thing you can most do that opens it up to others is, is ask them a question and ask them how you can be of service to them or helpful or what they're looking for in their business. And that begins the dialogue that's two-way, and it doesn't become an, literally an elevator pitch promotion commercial about you. Right. Uh, actually, yesterday I, I uh, got my shipment from Amazon of, of uh, Bob Bergen, John David Mann's new book, uh, Go Givers, Sell More. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a whole section on that. I mean, it's it's not uh, necessarily written for people in transition, but oh, I just I saw so many applications uh, from that book about uh, about asking questions and about listening and actually focusing on others and what you can do for others. And the other thing I wanted to bring up, and, and I remember last year when we launched Transition Solutions uh, back in January, uh, one of the people that I talked to uh, that week was Nancy Woodman, the former CEO of CBS Radio. Mm-hmm. And, and Nancy talked about how that very first Monday uh, after she had gotten laid off uh, when Westinghouse uh, came in and, and bought CBS, um, she went and got dressed and went down and volunteered her time at a women's shelter. And she said, you know, now years later, she still does that. But she needed to do that so that every Monday morning she had a place to get dressed and ready to go to and that, that she still had that sense of purpose. And I, I think that in getting started, um, you know, I, I love uh, your ideas of really going out of your comfort zone and doing things like taking ballroom dancing, but, but also giving back. Uh, to your local community, you know, to your church, what, whatever, um, you know, really uh, hits that point of passion, mm-hmm. you know, is it, an important thing to weave into. Absolutely. And, and even if you go down to your, your local Starbucks and it forces you to get up and get dressed and go sit somewhere where you can work on your plan, uh, structure is so important. I, I had a coaching call, first call with someone yesterday, 
And there's an assessment in You Unstuck. It's the uh, looking at ten different areas of your life in the first chapter. And we started with that to really it gives me a great picture of somebody's, you know, the total, uh, even though I've, I've talked 95% about business, I take a very holistic approach because I think you've got to factor in health and family and finances and energy levels and all of those things. But the first thing we did, because in doing that, it became really apparent that this woman had a, a real lack of structure. And she is in that transition, looking for work, changing career direction. And what we did with my first assignment was I want you to think of your life not looking at this grid where you've assessed yourself in all these areas like relationships with your family and your fitness and fun and recreation, all of these different things. And I want you now to look down the road, not a year or two years down the road, but a couple weeks down the road. And I want you to create a calendar and get out your actual calendar and and slice it up and, and map out an ideal week, including the weekends. So this can be not in the fantasy sense of, you know, I'm strolling on the beach in, in Hawaii, but although, where that's, you, although that's fine too, <laughs> where you will be and what you want to be doing. And it may be, okay, I've got that job already and here's how I carve up my time, or it might be I'm still in transition and looking, but here's the structure I'm going to build for myself. And, and it's factoring in things because she said, boy, I just haven't spent a lot of time with friends. Well, let's factor that in and set up a date with a group of girlfriends to go to a, a play or a movie or, you know, whatever is fun for you and factor in time with family and factor in your health and fitness, including she said, wow, I'm really out of control on the fitness and I've been kind of stress eating lately. I said, well, then put down that, clean out the junk food in your kitchen on the calendar and also put in your, your three or four uh, walks or visits to the gym or whatever you're going to do. So it was really about building structure because that's what I wanted her to do, to look at her calendar Sunday night and say, wow, okay, so 9 a.m., I need to be, you know, at this uh, at this job search group thing or, you know, whatever it was. But I just wanted her to have it mapped out, including free time and fun time. Yeah, I think that's really important. And one of the things that, that people um, – don't get done when they are busy with work is going through their address book. I mean, I, I actually tried blocking time out. I haven't been successful yet, by the way. But but going through your address book on your computer, uh, you know, within your email program, if that's how you operate, and going through each one and figuring out, first of all, do you even know who they are? I was saying to my husband the other day, can you believe how many people we've got in our address book that I have no earthly clue who they are? <laughs> it must be somebody I met on an airplane at, at some juncture. But right. again, going through those names and, and if you um, you know can sit with Facebook or Twitter or, or LinkedIn probably is the best uh, in this particular case and, and look up each of those people on LinkedIn and get connected to them and then you know look at who, who they know who you might want to be connected to and so use it as, as an exercise not only to clean out your, your <laughs> mailing list and, and get rid of the people who aren't useful um, you know moving forward or you can't remember or uh, yeah. uh, for whatever reason uh, you know they shouldn't be there and also take time to categorize them I mean most email programs Programs have have a way to put people into buckets so that you can put your family in one bucket and your business development and your former clients and mm-hmm. and uh, you know so taking that time to really expand your network uh, because pretty much everybody is moving to those electronic network platforms and and while that still takes you know a lot of discipline to figure out how to apply your time there and that's you know a, a show for another day. Right. Um, 
but but really I think that that's another really really productive thing that you can put on your calendar but you have to do it in small bites in fact you know I mean I, I figure if you just took a, a day for each letter of the alphabet you'd probably do, be doing really really well yeah that's uh that day for each letter that's great and you know in my accountability club my my coaching group um, we have very specific goals like that. Everybody sets their monthly milestone of what do I really need to get done this month? And if that were it, you'd say that's it. That's my monthly milestone. I'm going to I'm going to not only clean up the calendar or the mail program, but I'm going to reconnect with 200 people or 500 people or whatever sounds right for you. And then I have people set very specific deadlines and action steps, and they will come back onto the site and blog about. I did this, I did that, I need help here, I'm stuck there. And it's it's amazing when you begin to say out loud, here's what I'm going to do, and then you chunk it down, like you suggested, a letter at a time, then then it's, suddenly it's doable. Right, right. And, and again, it also gives you a sense of accomplishment. And I think if you tackle something, you know, that large, it's it's really hard to get your arms around. Um, one of the other things I want to talk about just real quickly, you know, you've written a number of books, and, and your books have, have launched you into a speaking career and also uh, kind of uh, crystallized what your coaching business is all about. I uh, also ventured out early on to write about what I knew and um, my my particular uh, expertise was in multi-channel distribution in the travel industry, which is a very, very narrow field, but one that's very important to how the travel industry operates. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that people also miss during the time in between jobs is actually to take the time to catalog what it is you know, what you love, what you do well, because uh, we talked at the beginning of the show about finding that passion, and and out of that passion comes your self worth. So let's talk just a little bit about um, uh, one of the chapters in your book is called Mind Over Mo- Money: The Connection Between Net Worth and Self Worth. Well, we get so wrapped up in, and it's it it happens in other parts of the world, but it's particularly American that the first question out of our mouths when we meet somebody is, "What do you do?" Um, if we were so bold as to say, how much do you make? Uh, that's sometimes that's you know the little thought bubble is really about that. But we have a we put a lot of um, emphasis on status items. You know, you can see it all over television: cars and homes and our clothes and our jewelry and our look and all of that stuff. And it's not that way necessarily in the rest of the world, although I fear it's traveling from us to everyone else. But there's such a mix-up of of what we own and what our net worth is becomes what we believe our value is. And our value, our self-worth, and our net worth are two completely different things. And it, it can be very difficult to separate the two. I, I think it may be harder for men because they're so socialized and nurtured to place value on themselves as providers, and with good reason. You know, that goes back to... Men were the hunters and, and women were the, the caregivers of the, the family and the hearth and all of that. But at the same time, we've got to learn that it's the intrinsic value of who we are as, as human beings just by being alive and then by identifying our unique gifts. And the closer you can get connected to what you really have to offer people, the more you begin to understand your value. And I talk to a lot of very successful people who say, one said something about having a business low self-esteem, and I thought, wow, that's really, and this is a, a really successful person. And I thought, you know, that that I can see that, I can hear that in that, that undervaluing. I mean, there's a fellow I'm working with now on overhauling his 
website and his branding. And I said, you know what's missing from your brand? And he said, well, what's that? And I said, you. You're the heart and soul of this company. And it's really very much driven by you know, personal touch. And I said, you're not in there. Your about page is about the philosophy of the business. It's not about you. It's not even about your people. And that's a mistake. And he said, well, I've never really thought, you know, I'm not a big CEO type. I'm just a regular guy who built this business. I said, yeah, but it's based on people who trust you. And, um, and that was so important. So when you begin to understand how valuable what you do is, to other people and who those people are and that's how you build a business of course is identifying what your gift is and where the marketplace is that needs that gift then you begin to see it's not really all about the money and as you said before i did take a significant pay cut when i uh, well i left for nothing i was building a business from scratch after leaving a a pretty cushy job where i had security and a regular you know I, i was making six figures and perks and all that kind of fun stuff and it was great and i left into the unknown because i felt like i've got a deeper purpose and I'm not one who says do what you love and the money will follow because I think that's a prescription for blah, for you know night sweats of what did I just do? But I do believe I've actually tried to find the person that wrote that book oh, back yeah. in the 90s, and I'm not sure that they're still around. So. Well, I heard somebody say, well, if I did that, I'd just go out to lunch with my girlfriends all the time. <laughs> so yeah, okay, but there is it's. Do what you love and you're passionate about and you have a skill set for and for which there is a market. That's the part they forgot. That was the subtitle they missed on that book. Right. Um, do what you love and the, the money will follow if there's a market for it. But I do believe when you can connect those dots and do what you love and, in fact, identify the market for it, or some people can actually create a market, um, then then you really begin to say, no, I'm, I'm pretty fabulous. I'm, I'm really great. I see what I've got. Yes, I've still got my, my late-night demons or my moments of doubt, and we've all got that. Anybody who doesn't is just lying, or they've got the bravado that covers up the insecurity. But when we can really say, this is what I'm good at, and recognize that you are good at that. I mean, I'm, I told you when we got on the phone just for this um this interview, I said, I'm just awed by your use of technology. I mean, you are just amazing how you connect people and technology. And not just technology for technology's sake, but to to use it in a way that really connects people as opposed to alienates people or isolates them. Well, and that's a gift, and it's not a gift that everybody has. And there is, in fact, a great market for it. And I see you having fun. It's like a big playground for it. And when we can put that <laughs> together then people can really let go of that idea of net worth. I, I downsized. I mean, I moved down, but, you know, my marriage broke up at the same time all in one year. I left the right. corporate world, started my business, published my first book, and bought a home by myself all in one year. It was a little, it was a, a very intense year, and I don't recommend people doing that if they have a an alternative choice. But, um, boy, did I find out what I was made of. Absolutely. And, well, uh, I'm glad you you mentioned that because we're we're about to bring on our next guest. Um, But before we do that, I want to let our our listeners that are, um, number one, who are in the travel industry, to know about an upcoming event. Uh, It's actually March 9th through the 11th in Dallas. It's a conference called TravelCom, which is owned and operated by the U.S. Travel Association. And Libby and I are going to be doing a special workshop on Thursday the 11th in the morning at TravelCom for those people who are in between successes. And the U.S. Travel Association and TravelCom have given us the special dispensation, if you will, to offer 
uh, complimentary registration, which is a $1,500 value to people coming to that conference so that they can enjoy the entire um, set of speakers and venues and, and the trade show uh, as well as our special uh, session. And so if you are interested in that, please contact me at Chicky, C-H-I-C-K-E, at solutions, and that's solutions with a Z, dot com. And Libby, uh, before I bring on Dondi, can you just let folks know the best way to contact you? They are welcome to contact me directly at uh, LibbyGill.com, or my email is Libby at LibbyGill.com, and they can... They'll see from my main website, the, the kind of the mothership of the company. They'll also get links to my speaker site and my accountability club. And I welcome anybody to check us out. We've actually got a really interesting accountability club call on Thursday. Great. Well, uh, Libby, I am. Um, I don't know if you're going to be able to hang out with us, but uh, I just brought Dondi on the phone. I don't know if you guys have actually met, but you are both – uh, my connections through my dear friend Bob Berg, uh, the author of uh, Go Givers and, and Go Givers Sell More. So, uh, Dondi, good afternoon. Well, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Oh, happy to have you. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar with, with Dondi's work, uh, Dondi has written uh, a number of books. And as Libby was talking um, at, at the end of our call, it, it reminded me of some of the things that Dondi wrote about in her book, Ready, Set, Grow, How to Rediscover Your Passion, Overcome Your Fears, and uh, to uh, get the life that you've always wanted. And I may have missed that last word there, Dondi. But, uh, and then she wrote another book called Design for Success, The Ten Commandments for Women in the Workplace. And we're going to be exploring that uh, on the Executive Girlfriends group that uh, – that Libby and I both participate in. But, uh, Dondi, I asked you uh, on the show today because you have a brand-new book out called Career Moves. Can you give us a little bit about your background and then uh, talk a little bit about what brought you to the place where you wanted to write Career Moves? Absolutely. Uh, Career Moves is, uh, is my favorite so far. Let me just say that I had such a wonderful time writing this book. It's been a wonderful project. What brought me to this place, you know, I, I share, I was listening to the interview with Libby, and boy, I really enjoyed that. Some good points. I was taking some notes there. Her message really resonates uh, with me. And uh, share some of those experiences. Had the, you know, the executive job. I was a director of a couple of banks, one in the Northwest and one in the, the Midwest, and uh, left that and and became a consultant, which is, all, is code for unemployed, right? <laughs> and began building my speaking practice, and then eventually the books came, and, and now I would say uh, a little more author than speaker, and uh, before it was a little more speaking than writing. And so I find myself in some of those transitions and trying to make sure that I'm managing those transitions and that they're not managing me. And uh, as she was speaking, as Libby was speaking, I thought, you know, You Unstuck is really a, a great book for anyone. I love that part about being in the middle. I'm reaching for something new. I'm reaching beyond who I am, and I haven't grasped a hold of the success that I'm looking for. And that middle place can be very, very scary when you're kind of stepping out of your your zone of comfort. And I, I'm a big believer in enlarging that zone of comfort, comfort, taking those risks and that kind of thing. So. What brought me here is uh, a lot of what she was talking about, being willing to kind of step outside of what I knew and uh, let myself be called to something greater and understanding that there was more for me to do. And sometimes those are painful transitions, but I don't regret any of them. Well, let's talk a little bit. You know, I, typically on this show, 
we have uh, a mixture of people. We've got the folks who have already taken the plunge and decided that they were going to move out. They they knew it was time to make a move, and you know they saw it coming. Maybe their company was offering packages to people who who wanted to leave, and and they actually stood in the front of the line. And then we have people who, uh, you know, got the the awful call into their boss's office and had to hear that painful delivery of, you know, uh, some version of cut back, scale back, uh, downsize, uh, you know, those words that that, uh, we don't exactly dream about. And then, you know, we've, we've got actually a third category of people who actually are still stuck in a job uh, that they're not passionate about. And one of the things in the early part of your book is is you talk about moving signs and how you can recognize when it is time to move. And, and for those people who are already out or, or who had to leave uh, against their own free will, sometimes it's time to make a move out of what you weren't were comfortable in. Maybe the career you've had for the last 20 years, or maybe you've been in one sector of an industry, and it's time to spread your wings into another one. Absolutely. You know, there I, in, in career moves, we talk about nine signals, nine signs that it's time to move. And and I think that the danger is, is if we aren't recognizing those signs, as you if you keep heading down the road, at some point, uh, you're missing some really critical and important turns. And so being aware of what those signs are, and I think maybe the, you know, one of the, the, the biggest ahas for me is we, we, we hear a lot about unemployment in, in the world, but there is another tragic thing going on, and that's called underemployment, mm-hmm. where the majority of people that are polled uh, will tell you that they are not really in love with what they're doing. And that their skills and their strengths and their passions aren't being utilized in their current job. And so I like to call career moves sort of this uh, career intervention or reinvention. And I think that it's really possible. I mean, we think about moving. Uh, you know, if you're going to move your household, you know, it's time to pack your junk and or sell your junk and pack your stuff. And you have the big mm-hmm. giant garage sale uh, boxes and all of those things, and you pick up and you go to a new place. But in career moves, there's actually this premise that says sometimes it's not about uh, relocating. You may change your position actually without even changing your title. There are ways that you can reinvent the job that you have to get the one that you want. But what I'm seeing out there in the workplace uh, over and over again as I am with audiences and really talking to them and trying to understand where they are and, and, and find that place, find what hurts so that we can work towards uh, greater solutions, I'm seeing people that are very disappointed and uh, disappointed in how things have turned out. And one of the natural responses, perhaps, to disappointment is to kind of withdraw our value a little bit. So we kind of sink into this, I'm just showing up kind of a a syndrome, rather than really pouring myself into it. As as, uh, Bob Berg would talk about in that go-giver's sell more and go givers it's you know your compensation is directly related to the amount of value that you create and so you know i'm seeing people kind of withdraw that value because they've been hurt or feel betrayed or disappointed and i'm telling you maybe it's the banker background in me but i have never seen anyone create more opportunity by becoming less valuable by depreciating as an asset so the nine signs i think that you know the, the nine signs we talk about really are Uh, kind of that warning sign, too, that says pay attention to the signs because if you don't, along the way, you might find yourself withdrawing, 
depreciating, and you've missed an important turn. Right, right. Well, and as that happens, when there is a, a layoff or a cutback, if you have already checked out, mm. um, you know, uh, chances are you You're are going to be on the list. You're exactly. first, yeah. You know, I'll never forget the, the time that I was speaking in California, and there was this huge group of people, and in the middle of this group uh, there was probably 30 or 40 people from two hospitals that were merging. And these people had been told, you know, when we bring these two facilities together, we're not going to need two of everything. And so many of you will not be joining the new group. In the meantime, what they promised was we will, you can go to training, we'll help you write resumes, we'll get a career coach in here. I really thought the hospitals stepped up, both organizations stepped up to do the right thing for the people that might find themselves displaced. Well, in this seminar, there's this one woman. She was amazing. She was taking notes. She was trying everything out. I mean, she was just energetic and really engaged. And next to her, you couldn't help but notice the contrast. There was a woman who at first I thought something was wrong with her neck because every time I said something, she did the, you know, the, and the eyes would roll back. And and, and the, the contrast between these two women was just so amazing. Well, at the break, they both approached me, and that's when I learned the story about the merger. And the engaged uh, young woman said, I am terrified, but I'm also excited, because for the first time in my life, it's a little bit what Libby Gill was talking about, I'm, I'm being asked to really think about what I want. I, I kind of started at the beginning of this job. I've moved up. I think I've done well with the, the opportunities that came my way. But for the first time in my life, I am being forced to really think about the future that I want to create for myself. Exciting, terrifying, all of the above. And, and, I, and I said to her, I suspect something marvelous is going to happen for you. Mm. I kind of predict that, right, with this attitude and that energy. And I asked her to let me know, and I gave her my email address. Well, the woman standing next to her, she had a very different outlook on what was going on. She said, yeah, you work for an organization for 20 years. They kick you to the curb right before you retire. You know, she was just defeated. Well, about four months after this seminar, I got a, an email from this lovely, engaged woman who said, you'll never believe it, but I am now the manager of the department that I used to work for and in. And, that's, and that came with a really nice raise. And she said, that's not even the best news. I am now working with the best people on the planet. We are having a ball. We are making a huge difference for this organization. And I could not be more excited about my future. Now, I congratulated her, but I couldn't help but ask, you know, what about your friend? And she, <laughs> she wrote back gracefully and said, unfortunately, she was in the first round of layoffs. Right. She had withdrawn her value. She had depreciated as an asset. She'd become a commodity to the organization. And here's the tragedy. She left there thinking something had been done to her. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's that whole message of I don't control, you know, in Design for Success there was a public service announcement. It was like if you're looking for job security, get over it. It's gone. Right. But the good news is you don't need job security if you will just focus on the actions that create value. And again, it gets back to the go-giver thing. If you create value, opportunity will follow. It has to. It's the law, right? Right. It's, it's the stratospheric law of success, as Bob Berg and John David Mann would say. It is the law. Opportunity always follows value. Not sometimes right where you are, and not always as quickly as you'd like to see it, but if you will persist, it will present itself. Opportunity will come. 
Absolutely, and and I I don't know if you heard me telling Libby, but uh, yesterday afternoon my my little Amazon bag came uh, with the Go Giver sell uh, Go Givers sell more in it, and of course I stayed up until one a.m. Isn't it, it great? It really was, and you know it was. Um, I mean, the first one was an allegorical novel, and this one is is a much more practical primer. Uh, you know, but there were just so many so many gems in here and and you know it follows right in line with what what Libby has written about in You Unstuck and really you know changing your focus from from you and all of the things that have been done to you and and what baggage you're carrying around you know to the assessment that you have made in career moves of of taking a look at these these warning signs and and the signs that it is time to move and if you have felt that general discontent and and you just can't get where you want to go or or you have just checked out and you've already quit um you know even though you haven't left yet i think Um, that generalized discontent is a really uh, there's probably a lot of people that can relate to that it's you know everything's generally all right but it's kind of like the you know it reminds me of the mother in the grocery store with a small child who's kind of tugging on their shirt tail uh, asking for attention you know mama mama and if you don't pay attention to that little voice it will get bigger and bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. until you do I, I, I think that uh, in the generalized discontent, that moving sign, it basically says stuff's getting done, but I feel no joy in it. Right. I, I, I think that I mean, it's very possible. I think it's entirely possible to know what to do and even how to do it really well. But if you ever forget why you're doing it, passion will drain from it. Things will become an obligation. So one of the, the things that uh, you know, I, I really encourage readers to think about is find your why again. You know, you go back and find your why. You know, I'm not always in love with every aspect of my job, uh, but I'm always in love with the difference I can make uh, for my family, uh, for my clients, uh, you know, for individuals. I'm always very much in love with that. It's impossible not to fall in love with that part. So I think generalized discontent, we've probably all experienced that to some degree. I think one of the most challenging signs that I write about in Moves is that you can't get here uh, from you can't get there from here. Sign is where you finally realize that I can't get to where I want to go from where I'm standing, and I'm going to have to jump the tracks, or mm-hmm. I'm going to have to reinvent myself. And I love the example in Moves. Uh, as you know, Career Moves. Uh, there's two stories that unfold. One is. Uh, uh, the allegory, uh, there's a, a, a woman who actually experiences a real setback in her career and through mentoring and, and, and very uh, uh, a process of reinventing herself, she finds herself in a new place at the end of the book, and her name is Zoe. I, and I really became very attached to that character. But what I think is different and unusual about this book is that uh, the, in the center of the chapters are the steps that she's taking. So we can follow her story, but we also are invited to write the success story of our own. And uh, one of the examples that came out of my research on that, you, you know, you can't get there from here, was this marvelous bank teller who uh, wanted to be in finance. She was in school, too, studying finance, and she wanted to be in banking. Uh, and so it was natural for her to take a, a job in college as a part-time teller. Well, you know, as she had been there for a long while, she realized, you know, the next step for a teller, the career path for a teller is really not what I had dreamed about, but it was very hard once you got onto that track to get into a different track. And she wanted to maybe be a lender or an investment counselor or something like that. 
So she started networking with those people in her office. She started introducing herself and, and really talking to those, uh, those folks. And I, I think following a, a go-giver principle, she asked them, you know, what should I be looking for? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, uh, in terms of a lead or a referral for you, what are the keys? What are the the, the, the uh, tips or triggers? And as she learned that, she became this amazing referral machine for the bank. Mm-hmm. And uh, then she applied to go to consumer lending school, and they turned her down because she was a teller, and tellers don't do that. So she went out and took the, I guess the you know the tax preparation class in her in, in her community college and learned how to read tax returns and picked up the textbook for, you know, lenders and started doing a self-study. Uh, and eventually, uh, you know, she was accepted into the, the lending courses at that bank and is now managing a large group of consumer lenders. And, and what I love about her story is that it was very hard to reinvent herself, but what really resonated with me was when she said to me, long before my title changed, my position and my peer group did. In mm. fact, by changing my position, how I was positioned within the organization, and, and, and who my peer group was, that created the promotion for me. And I think sometimes people are, are, are looking for, they're jumping uh, onto Monster.com or CareerFinder, whatever those are, and they're just applying for stuff without right. really stepping back to say, what do I want to create? And really, would it be possible to reinvent the job I have to get the one that I want? I think that is so powerful, Dondi. And, and um, the two of the signs that I really um, or caught my eye were your job doesn't fit your life and your job doesn't fit you. And I think until you have mapped out that, uh, and I, I use a, a grid where you put across the top, uh, love and hate, and, and down the left-hand side you put do well and do badly so that you can actually figure out those things that you love and you do really, really well. And it's not that you won't have to do some of the things that you hate, but if you do them really well, those may be the things that you should be managing other people or managing an outsourced resource. And the other dimension of that are things that energize you and things that drain you, and it's possible to have something that you love and and uh, but do badly, but it really energizes you. So you really need mentoring, and you need somebody to come along and give you that kind of training and, and to give you the opportunity uh, to step into a job maybe that you don't have the perfect background for. I love that model, and I love what you said about some things will energize you and some things won't because I've had people tell me, well, I'm no good at this or I'm no good at that. I, I firmly believe that we can we can become solid at whatever we want to and whatever mm-hmm. we work at with the right mentoring and with the right with the right training. We can we can be good at whatever we choose to be good at, but some things will energize us and some things will not. It's kind of like I, you know there are people who will tell you. Uh, I can be good with people, I can be charming and entertaining, but I am so glad when the people go home, right? Well, I'm the opposite. I'm energized by people. After speaking... Oh, that surprises me so yeah, much, Gandhi. I want to go for a run, right? i got to go running to settle down, but if you want to see what drains me, put me in front of a spreadsheet. Now, I can build a really great spreadsheet, but I'll come out of my office looking like someone beat me up. I'm tired, I'm, I'm worn out, it, you know... There are some tasks that do drain us, and I think well, maybe that's true. But you know, here here's the the flip side of that: spreadsheets and and models. You know, uh, complicated financial models actually go in my hate but do well. But it also gets an energized sticker because when it's done and it's a work of art, 
I am energized. Now, don't make me do them every day. But, you know, if, if once a quarter I take on a consulting project where I have to do a really, really uh, creative financial model, I'll, I'll hate it the whole while I'm doing it. But when I'm done, oh, man, I'm energized. And I so it isn't always those, the thing that love, that you love that makes you energized. That's true. Sometimes it's the difference that you make. There's that find the why. You can know what to do and you can know how to do it mm-hmm. pretty well. But if you forget the why, you're in big, big trouble. Yeah. I think the signs are, are, are important for us all to, to take. When I really looked at what are those signs, one thing uh, also kind of uh, popped out at me. If you ignore one of the signs, uh, then it's possible to really get lost. It's kind of like the nav system. You know, if, you, if you're following a navigation system and you don't make one of the turns, right. then it's eventually, eventually you're going to be really off track. Uh, the, the, that's the bad news. The good news is, as you increase your awareness about some of the things that we've been talking about, and uh, as you refocus on your, what do I want, and, and what am I trying to create here, and what energizes me, and where are my strengths being used, and how could they be used more fully, you can find your way back, uh, you know, to the path. Uh, I think that all of us have a, a unique career path. One of the things I've noticed as I work with my customers is many, many people are out there looking for that career path. And organizations really struggle creating a career path because each of us has, you know, I don't think I can give you a career path. I think it's, uh, they're, they're unique to us. We can tool people up to find their own path. But each of us is really responsible for figuring out what that journey looks like. And I think it's a wonderful process when we start, like, self-assessing, you know, what do I love, what do I hate, what am I good at. Those kinds right. of tools are really important for us. Because I really believe, as I as I look out in the workforce right now, I see tire, I see weariness. I was speaking at a a large hospital uh, last week in San Antonio, and and you know one of the things I, that 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 I asked, had asked the group, I said I, I sense that you're weary, uh, and and they they all just and it's, yes we we are weary, and these are great people who do good work. They're highly trained. They just got their magnet designation as a hospital, huge huge achievement, and they're tired. So I, I sense a generalized sort of weariness in the workforce right now. We're being asked to do more with less, faster, uh, at less cost, right? Resources mm-hmm. are, are thin. And I think that people uh, in the wake of all of that sometimes feel a little powerless and a little small. And there's this great big you know, uh, public service announcement that I would just like to shout from the mountaintops. You are not small and you are powerful, and you have more options than you even realize. And if you're in that place where you're kind of just going through the routine and just making it to the end of the day, that is a sign that it's time for you to pull back and either fall in love again with what you're doing, and there are lots of ways to do that, reinvent the job you have to get the one you want, or or take that risk that Libby Gill was talking about and figure out what do I really want to do because life is meant to be enjoyed fully, and I meet a lot of people that that are that are handling responsibility well, but they are not enjoying their lives, and that's a big sign. That's a big sign that something needs to change. Right, and you know some of the other uh, steps that you have talked about is, and, and the one that uh, you know really made me think was there's either too much pressure in what you're doing or there's not enough pressure. What's the story behind that one? Well, I think I've been on both sides of that. I think that I have. I'm, I'm a real Type A personality. I put a lot of high expectations on myself, and 
so I would I would run deadline to deadline to deadline, always you know, with a lot of pressure uh, to perform and to do it perfectly and all of that. And I think that if there's too much pressure and it's constant, I notice this about work teams that I that I consult with. Eventually, it's like the uh, the string on a kite. Too much pressure, too much tension on that line will will snap the string. The kite will fall. But if you have no pressure, meaning no goals, no deadlines, you're not pushing yourself at all, you're not reaching, then, then the kite will also not take off because some tension on the line is a really good thing. Uh, sometimes that tension comes in the awareness that, wow, some things around me are changing and I'm going to have to retool, I'm going to have to refresh my skills. Uh, you know, the, the, as my awareness goes up, I might feel some tension because I see a change coming or I feel it, but I'm not quite sure what to do about it yet. Uh, if I can add to that tension new skills, new awareness, uh, new information, n new people resources, uh, networking, uh, then what I can do is I can transform. And really, that is the, that's the formula. The tension comes as the awareness goes up. I add to myself something that will allow me to transform, and you just continually are going through a process of transformation. When people aren't aware that things around them are changing, that uh, they become complacent or even obsolescent uh, in their jobs, and that starts to look like a commodity. Or when people are too skilled, in other words, they have strong ability, uh, but they don't have an awareness that things around them are changing, they can become arrogant. And that arrogance is very, very dangerous uh, because at that point you stop learning. You're not, you're not asking questions. You're not challenging your, you, yourself to learn more and to grow. You're not managing your skill inventory or your network. You're not looking for ways to add more value. So really it's that tension on the line that is the signal. It's that tap on your shoulder that says there's something that you need to add to yourself so that you're fully equipped to handle this new challenge. It should be, it should be rejuvenating. Well, Dondi, in, in the last uh, minute that we have, can you let folks know uh, where they can buy your book? Because there, there is, we could have spent probably two hours. Uh, there, there is so much content in this book and so many very, very practical ways uh, you know, to help you get uh, out, of, out of a place of, uh, where you feel like you're in transition to where you really have a purpose. So how can they get in touch with you and how can they buy your book? Well, I would love to have them visit me online at dondiscomachi.com. And that's D-O-N-D-I-S-C-U-M-A-C-I. -I. I'm also Dondi Scamachi on Twitter and on Facebook, so pretty consistent there. The book is going to officially release on uh, March 2nd at um, Amazon.com. Uh, it will also be, you'll be finding it in the bookstores as well, so I, I hope that people will get their orders in. You can read the first chapter of Career Moves and more about the nine signs that we've been talking about on my website, dondiscomachi.com. So that's a free gift, and I invite your listeners to go check out that first chapter. And make, uh, there's a link there that you can actually go and pre-order the book as well. Uh, tomorrow's show will be about networking, so we look forward to having you join us again tomorrow at noon. Something nice to say about me I enjoy an accolade like the rest And you could take my picture and hang it in a gallery Of all the who's who's and so-and-so's 